What's up, everyone? This week, I have Eddie Burgos, a.k.a. Eddie Numskull, who is uh, probably the most uh, prolific promoter for uh, punk and hardcore shows in the Ventura County area, um, in my lifetime, at least. And he promoted shows, or and still promotes shows, um, you know, in the whole range from, like, San Luis Obispo down to Orange County and out to, like, the high desert. Um, but yeah, he was like the main dude that was putting on shows. Like when I was a, a teenager at like the living room and a lot of the shows in like the Ventura County area. So <clears throat> really cool to have him on, um, again, a different perspective. And he's an old school narcore guy, played bass in, uh, the band Habeas Corpus. It was on like the narcore comp and, uh, yeah, super cool to have him on. So Uh, That's pretty awesome. And if you would like to support the podcast, please like, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Please share with your friends um, on social media or uh, give them the old-fashioned phone call and just say, did you know there's this hardcore podcast like focusing on California? Um, It's called 185 Miles South, and I fucking love it. You know, let them know because we need everyone on board. Uh, if you'd like to go the extra mile, please go to patreon.com slash 185 miles south. Become a patron, a uh, monthly contributor to the show. I'm um, trying to do as many episodes as I can for the patrons. Um, and yeah, you can donate a dollar a month and get behind that paywall and check it out. And if you can help out a little more, that is much appreciated. Uh, these are the people that keep the show going and uh, my personal heroes. Now let's get on with the show. Hundred eighty-five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. All right, this week on the pod we have Eddie Burgos, aka Eddie Numskull, the uh, most successful promoter in this area in my lifetime, right, of punk rock. Well, it depends on how you define success, but uh, yeah, we've been around for a minute. Yeah. I mean, well, you predate me and you basically brought all our favorite bands to town or the uh, the adjacent cities like the living room and so forth for a long, long time and still doing it. So I can't think of anyone else. Yeah. Uh, this July will be our 31st anniversary. Jesus Christ. It's fucking insane, dude. Okay. So let, believe it. let's go all the way back and we're going to work our way up to that. So what year and how old were you when you got into punk? Oh, that's a pretty loaded question. But um, I can specifically remember the first uh, piece of punk music that I got. Okay. Because I went to, I had an X-Acto knife and I used to, I didn't have a lot of money growing up. So I used to go to the local Kmart. Okay. And you know that they have cassettes, but they'd have like those big anti-security boxes that were sure they had the uh, the security uh, strip on there. Okay, I would come go in there with exacto knife and just cut them out. Okay, and the first one, first punk one that I actually stole was 
The Clash London Calling. Okay. So that was probably late 79, early 80. And was it the cover? Had you already heard of them? Or no. did you just like YOLO because of the cover? Because of the cover, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's smashing the bass. So yeah. Well, this looks really cool. So I got that, and that kind of opened the door to like Devo and Blondie and a bunch of new wave stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a place called the Music Galley in Camarillo. Okay. And there was an older gentleman there that kind of had the full on like record store clerk, uh, not like superiority complex, but he was all about helping the kids out and like introducing new shit. If you like this, you might like this. Exactly. Yeah. So I told him about, Hey man, I got this clash cassette and what else can I listen to? And then at that point he pointed me in the direction of some more hardcore stuff like black flag jealous again, and then circle jerks, a lot of frontier stuff. Mm hmm. Um, TSOL and this is 81 so I bought all those and those were a total game changer but the real game changer is when I got the Let Them Eat Jelly Beans comp Yeah, and then it was on yeah because the palette on that is huge absolutely Um, yeah yeah, it's all over and it just it was so weird to have I mean I'm just 11 or 12 at this point okay like 6th or 7th grade okay and to hear music that actually represented how you felt Mm -hmm. that was Really, really impactful at that time. Yeah, were you were you into any music before punk rock came across? Were you always like drawn to it, or was that like the first time you really connected to something? No, I mean my parents are really into music. Um, obviously, all the the British Invasion stuff, the Rolling Stones, Beatles, mm-hmm. Kinks, the Who, and then they kind of uh, raised me on uh, like outlaw vintage country. Okay, so all that stuff like Johnny Cash, Hank Williams. Ernest Tubb, all that stuff. And then my brother was super into disco, so I got into like Earth, Wind, and Fire and and all that. And then I, it, it morphed into like all the 70s rock stuff. Like That's very diverse. Yeah, like absolutely. that's a pretty diverse palette like previous to punk. You kind of, you're served right up. Oh, absolutely. But the rock stuff came in after that, like Led Zeppelin, Kiss, Cheap Trick, mm-hmm. all that. And then that, then I just kind of graduated. Yeah, to, to, the, to London Calling, which is exactly. going to smash all, all, <laughs> all barriers and boundaries. Absolutely. Yeah, um... What stood out to you the most on the Let Them Eat Jelly Beans? Like the Bad Brain stuff? Or you weren't, you weren't drawn in by the Flipper song? No, no, no. That, that, that was great. Ha 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 is a really good, good tune. But um, it was more of the, how impactful the lyrics were. Okay. Uh, it was really eye opening, like the political stances and some of the, uh, the themes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that musically, I mean, it's like the social, social and political awareness was more eye opening to me at that time than. Than the actual music. Sure. Well, this is alternative tentacles. Right. 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 Yeah. Okay. And it had the fold out poster and they had all the names of all the bands. It was actually listed in there. And so was aggression, oh. all these bands. Um, and then, so that acted as a template to like dig deeper, like, wow, what the hell, what, what's up with all these bands that are listed in, yeah. you know, on the poster. So I could just kind of try to dig as much as I could. Yeah. Do you remember going to your first punk show? My first punk show. Um, I mean, loosely, I used, my brother took. I was very fortunate because my brother took me to a lot of like rock concerts, like larger ones. I saw the Pretenders, the Cars, Bow Wow Wow, Joan Jet. He's how much older than you? He's seven years older than me. Oh, yeah, legit older brother. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And uh, but the first actual punk concert I went to was at the Clash and the English awesome. Beat at the Santa Barbara Bowl. Wow, and that was in '82. Okay, and what was that like? Oh, it was insane. Was, uh, everything that uh, they captured everything live that they emasculated on tape, okay, and vinyl. And was the was the bowl still set up the same way, like with 
was there seating and then there was like a pit area in the front or um it was a little more ragged at the time okay like they had a big renovation in the, in the 90s so it's basically just bleacher seating super dilapidated yeah um just blue paint peeling off the bleacher seats. Uh-huh. There was actually a huge food fight at this show. Which okay. I don't know where the, where the kids even got the food, but like, I don't know if they were just. Somebody... That's the most expensive food fight ever, <laughs> totally. right? With the $7 nachos? At that point, it was probably 75 cents. Yeah, okay. But I think yeah. the ticket was like four fifty or something. Wow. It was super cheap. But what? the first, like, real, like, like. Well, can, we, deep... can we just talk about that a oh, tiny yeah, yeah. bit more? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because you saw the question in 82. We got to hear about it. So, how was like the crowd reacting to them at that point? Like, um, just what was it like? I think there was a little bit of a backlash happening at that point. Mm-hmm. I wasn't uh, privy to that. Yeah. You know, being an 11, 12-year-old kid. And enjoying everything. Because, right, they were starting to hit the radio and uh, rock the Casbah, know your rights. Yeah. Um, should I stay or should I go? We're getting mm-hmm. heavy airplay. And so at this point, this show was more or less an underplay because they were already taking off. In fact, the next time they came through, they opened up for The Who, Holy shit. At the Coliseum. <laughs> Holy shit. So it seemed like there was a little bit of heckling going on, that you, which I didn't understand. Yeah. But really, like, they, they fucking they absolutely crushed it. annihilated. Yeah. Yeah. And English beat, too. They had Rankin Raj, and mm. they had the whole pit move in. and So cool. Yeah, it was really cool. I thought it was punk rock because I went to that show in all camouflage. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm all, this looks like a punk rock outfit. <laughs> That's cool. So silly. And sorry for interrupting you. No, but, no, all good. But you, the next show that you were going to talk about. The next show I went to that was an actual, like, more or less DIY punk show was I got a flyer off the telephone pole right, right outside, uh, right outside um, Carl's Jr. Okay. And it was for Battalion of Saints, Angry Samoans at the Casa de Trop- Casa Tropical. Okay. So this was, I think, August 82, maybe. Okay. And then I had my, I talked to my parents and dropped me off there. They're familiar with the territory. I grew up in Oxnard. So, mm-hmm. um, so they were actually cool dropping me off out in front. And the location of the Casa Tropical is? It's on, um, it's where the Oxnard airport. Oh, it's was. at the airport. Yeah. And how many, there weren't that many shows that happened there, were there? Handful. Were there a bunch? Just I mean, a handful? Yeah. Okay. I was lucky enough to go to almost all of them, but yeah, maybe five or six. I know Addicts Play, Peter and Test Two Babies, TSOL, Crucifix, Suicidal. Okay. Yeah, um, that's what I was thinking. Um, it was a good run, but didn't didn't last very long. Okay. So, so you go to the show, and what is this like? I mean, everybody there just was just towering above me. Yeah. And I went solo, which was a really... Uh, it's a super ballsy move, huh? Super daunting, man. Um Luckily, there's a couple people that I recognize. With my brother being seven years older, he went to Wainimi High with, with Tony and and Jim and John Faneff, and okay, and he was actually really tight with Carl. He was the president at Blackstock Junior High. Okay, and I think Carl may have been on student council too as the treasurer or something. Okay, they had some weird weird tie. So I kind of was somewhat familiar with those guys. I, Tony would would come over to the house. We lived off J Street, mm-hmm. and. uh and this is all obviously all pre-punk. Sure. Like Tony would come over and like uh, these like acid wash uh, Daisy Dukes <laughs> <laughs> and, and play uh, tennis with my brother. Um, it was pretty funny. But uh, so I kind of knew him from that. Okay. And they were really, really, really cool about uh, looking after me and mm-hmm. kind of uh, just watching over, Cause you it, know, from are, afar. Are, are the other few guys, are they the same age as your brother? Exactly. So you're seven yeah. years younger. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
But I mean, dude, when you're they're 19, I'm 12. No, I like, know it's a, like, a world of difference. Yeah, yeah. But I stood out like a sore thumb. I was clearly like the smallest kid in the room. And, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, everybody was just towering, and it, it, it seemed really uh, uh, aggressive and just completely eye-opening like it was just a total life changer like yeah. and like wow this is happening right in my own backyard and well battalion uh, of saints in 1982 there's not that much better i oh, mean no, yeah they're yeah. ripping that fighting boys ep but yeah holy shit so ripping yeah and then someone got their head kicked in songs which was 82 i believe as yeah well. yeah um yeah so what is the cap at that place like 100 150 and how many people do you think were there i want to say it was about Two and a quarter. Okay. And, and there was probably less than 100 people there. Okay. And it seemed like it was all locals because there was a lot of camaraderie. Everybody knew each other. Yeah. This is like the, the start like of NARD, right? Because 82 is like the ill-repute demo. Stalag, maybe he's demoing right around then, 82, 83. Yeah, yeah. Aggression is like the only one that's on record so far. Right. Because, um, yeah, the, the anything pre-plug-in Jesus doesn't come out till later. Right, right? Except right, maybe exactly. if people are dubbing tapes. Yeah. So yeah. So it's small and there's lots of camaraderie. And then, uh, how do you decide to get involved? Like more than just being like a, um, a show goer. Um, is that when you start your own band? No, no. So I grew up in Oxnard and then from kindergarten to sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And then my parents decided, you know, I was getting in a lot of trouble. It was just like not a good scene. Like, mm-hmm getting suspended at school. Back then they had capital punishment. And so I was getting like paddled every day. I went to Bard Elementary. Okay. Um, they had capital punishment in public school? Oh, yeah. They, that, that didn't get nixed <laughs> until probably like the late 80s. Man. Yeah. I mean, I remember like hiding in the bathroom like from the hall monitors because the principal was looking for me because I knew I was going to get tagged that day. Holy you fuck. Know? I mean, granted, I, was, I probably deserved it because uh-huh. I did a lot of things that you know, that weren't uh, conducive to education. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if a hall monitor ever needs to hit a child. <laughs> That's true. No, no, the principal does it. <laughs> oh, oh, fuck. Then who would want to be the principal? What kind of psychopath? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, sorry. But, but no, 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 it's all good. That was, that was a funny tangent. Um, so we moved to Camarillo because okay. my parents wanted to put us in kind of a safer environment. Mm-hmm. And get me out of trouble, and my sister as well. So I was a little bit detached from what was happening in Oxnard, even though I had those ties with in with my brother, like going to school with all them. Sure. Um. So I was a music fan from afar, but I did not know what was happening. I had no idea that this like bubbling scene of artists was gonna was gonna explode. Sure. I thought it was just this place that we can I can go to, and they had these underground shows yeah of kind of out of town bands coming through right absolutely yeah. yeah and to have to not there i mean again i was coming from rock roll the only shows i've been to were like you know i saw journey at the forum or places the cars with, at sports arena you know yeah, like, you're seeing cha- yeah, there's chairs exactly there's yeah. and but there's no barrier i could go i could walk right up to the singer and yeah so theater from crucifix hey what's up man you're filipino i am too what's up you know yeah. like like that sort of that that whole audience artist barrier was broken and to me that was just like I think that's what sucks everyone in, right? I mean, like, that is the the most special thing about punk and hardcore. I think for the people that fall in love with it, I would say is, like, the, the barrier being taken away between the band and, and the audience. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. You know? For sure. Yeah. So you're in Camarillo. 
Yeah, and so I'm in Camarillo, and how... I, so I still, I wasn't really in touch with all those guys other than at shows. And mm-hmm. it was just kind of like a hi-bye. Oh, this is Norm's younger brother. We should probably kind of look after him, mm-hmm. you know. And then in 84, Rob Monsour, who lived on Strand, and he was tight with like the Stalag guys because they lived on Strand as well. Mm-hmm. And then, and Big Bob, who lived in Hollywood Beach. Mm-hmm. And he put an ad in Flipside saying he wanted to start a band. Granted, this is a 14-year-old kid. Awesome. Okay. And yeah. little did he know that a 13-year-old and a 14-year-old kid in Camarillo like, read the ad, and we were like kind of making fun of him. I'm like, let's call this guy. He wants to start a band. <laughs> 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 kind of just like... And so we called him, just clowning around, and we ended up like connecting, and then we hooked up, and and then we found a drummer from um, James Ribiot, R.I.P. James, um, who lived on the other side of town in Camarillo, or he went to Rio Mesa High School. Mm-hmm. And then we got together and jammed and then started Habeas Corpus at that point. Great band name. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I mean, thanks. Was it, were you the first? I mean, that band name is so brilliant that it's like someone had to use it first, right? Uh, I don't know. No? There was no way of, of finding out yeah, of at that course, point. Of course. I know that a band in South America used it like okay. in the early 90s. Okay, yeah, later. Yeah, after we disbanded. Um. But that, that's Pinchy how, Rateros. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> see, see. Um, but so Rob had ties with Oxnard mm-hmm. uh, currently. And I was, like I said, I was a little bit detached living in Camarillo. Yeah. And so that kind of brought us all back in yeah. to cool. the whole scenario. So do you start playing shows? Uh, we waited a little bit. Okay. Um, I mean, dude, we're, no, no, we were not musicians. I'm still not a musician. And we're just like four kids. I was a freshman in high school. Our singer was in eighth grade, Mike Brown, mm-hmm. and the other the other two members were also freshmen in high school. Sure, and so yeah, the that track on the Nardcore record, "Steely Blind," is as us like repping our chops at the time. <laughs> yeah, but it's cool. I mean, you you you're you're touching a little off. bit. You're touching into like some of the dark chord stuff. It's like <laughs> yeah. it's a little it's a little spooky, right? Like the intro. And then you come in, and it's nice mid-tempo punk. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a little it, it, choppy, but it's cool. It was cute. I remember when we were at Mystic, and Tony Cortez was actually there. Yes. Yeah, so let's and step back. I'm jumping at, around, aren't I? Well, yeah, sorry. We're, we're really close, but we should step back and say, how were you courted? Like, did Tony just come up to you one day, or how did he present the idea of this comp to you? Well, I think Bob, who who really took us under his wing, um, I mean, I, I owe, we owe aggression a, a lot as a band and as a scene, mm-hmm. uh, as a community. But uh, as far as the Nardcore comp goes, I think he was kind of the the catalyst to... For to choosing get, you guys. For getting us on there, yeah. Yeah. They wanted like kind of a more like... Uh, we wanted some of the youth yeah. cap- captured. And you guys are definitely the youngest band. Yeah, yeah. I mean, RKL was a little bit, a couple years older. Okay. Yeah, they, and, were, they were super young too. Yeah, and light years ahead, uh, musicianship-wise. Well, of everyone. <laughs> of everyone, yeah. I exactly. mean, of everyone. Even the adults in the room. Yeah. Except Henry's got his chops. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But other than Henry, RKL's probably smoking everyone. Oh, God, dude. Those guys are <laughs> alien. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, so do you remember how it worked? Like, did someone just tell you, like, okay, we'll show up at Mystic this one day and you're going to go record one song? Yeah, so Tony... Um, Set up, set it up with Rob, our guitarist, mm-hmm. and uh, we got in my dad's uh, station wagon, and he drove us to 
to Mystic and in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we only had four songs, and Still You Blind was the was the one that that was somewhat coherent. Okay. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, and so we decided to go with that one. Yeah. And you record one song. We recorded that one song. How long? It, and what was it like recording at Mystic? It was um, it was raw for sure. Okay. I mean, that was my first uh, dive into a studio. Okay. So uh, we were pretty uh, wide-eyed. And you, you record all of the music live? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then do the vocals and after? Vocals after, yeah. Yeah. So we just do the, the basic track, all of us live, and then... But, and I, but I remember Tony just looking at me in absolute horror, like, oh my God, this kid, he's not in tune. Looking at me. Okay. <laughs> like, and he's such a sweet guy. He was like, it was like a kind of a dad, like... You know when your kid like fucks up, sure. like playing baseball or something, and but you don't want to tell him because they want to break his spirit. Uh-huh. Like Tony had that look on his face. Like, yeah. Um, well, because they had just discovered tuners. <laughs> yeah, yeah no <laughs> because they didn't have them in '82, <laughs> so you needed to pass on the knowledge. Um, yeah, that's funny. So you record the song. Do you are you able to uh, like? Is it just to dat? Are you like when do you get to hear the song? Like. Do they send you home with a tape and you're listening to it in the, in the car and you're like, this is sick? Or no. do you literally have to wait till the car We comes heard out? it in the mixing booth. Okay. And then uh, we had no say in, in the mixing, mm-hmm. which we probably shouldn't anyways. You know? mm-hmm. um, and we didn't hear it until we got the actual vinyl in our hand. How cool is that? And, <laughs> yeah, it was and really cool. Did Tony just come pass them out to like the bands? Like, here's a couple for you, a couple for you. Have we, all got, we all got a copy. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not cool. sure who was in charge of distributing okay. that, but we all got a copy of it. And then how did that feel to be on vinyl for the first time? Oh man, you're like at this point, like I said, I'm a freshman in high school. It was um it was life altering. Yeah. It was almost like a, a total pinch me moment. Yeah. It I was mean, a pinch me moment just to like be in a studio and even hang out with like the Gresham guys and your repute and Yeah. Well my my story is is a little parallel to that because the first band I would have done, it doesn't matter. I think I was a sophomore when it came out on the localism comp. Mm. And so it's weird when you get like a piece of vinyl in your hand and it is like, how did my band get on there? Like what sort of magic did it take? Cause you didn't go through all the process of like learning how to do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just like, Whoa, like how does this thing that exist? That must be really rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. So same type of thing. Um, Thumb- thumbing through the booklet was, re- was really special too. Yeah. I remember, it's funny because when I don't know if it was Philco or maybe it was Tony, but they asked us to to submit some artwork, mm-hmm. and I don't know how serious some of the the other acts that were on on the comp took it, but like art, we took it kind of serious. So yeah. we went to we went to did the cut and pasting at Kinko's. Mm-hmm. I think Scared Straight took it pretty serious. False Confession mm-hmm. did as well, but everybody else just kind of like scribbled lyrics. You know, on the spot, yeah. And I think Tony had a deadline or something, and then we turned ours in, and and then that was that. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, your page you, feels special. Yeah. So looking yeah. at that, it's like, wow, like our 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 page is readable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now you, you do do one other song though, because you're on the Party Animal Comp too. Yeah. Yeah. So how did how did that work? Same thing. Like you're just contacted and they're like come out and record one song. Yeah, we came out and did that one, and then we came out. Yeah, we did Last Dream for the mm-hmm. Party Animal Comp, and that was cool. We kind of a little bit knew how to, not didn't know how to play, but kind of know which side to hold our instruments. Yeah. You know, I think I was a lefty and playing righty 
too. And that was just it was silly too. That's um, crazy. And then I figured out that I could s- switch and, yeah. and didn't have to restrain. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and then we recorded also, it was supposed to be for the EP, the mm-hmm. super seven inch thing. And that was like early 85. Okay. And, uh, and then they were going to chop it up and put it into some other different comps, like Copulation 2 or Return to Slimy Valley. Yeah, all those um, weird comps that like actually yeah. even got Matrix numbers but never came out. Yeah. Narcore 2, yeah, Slimy Valley 2. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it never happened. I know, which is so weird that you recorded and they had material and didn't put it out. Yeah. You're the only one. I think there was a, there was a holdup with... They had this somewhat of like a makeshift contract. Okay. And we were all minors. Okay. So signing it, we needed some sort of like adult supervision or some sort of adult authority to represent us. I remember us signing for the comps, but for the actual EP, Mm -hmm. like we needed something, we needed some sort of representation that was legit. That's so wild. If that's the reason why it didn't come out, right? And um, we signed shit anyways. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. we just did it. Uh, yeah, and then for all the listeners, that uh, that material just came out. It came out a few years ago digitally, right? Yeah, yeah. Did it come out on CD as well? It just came out digitally? Um, no, just digitally. Okay, that's what I thought. And then Joe was saying he thought maybe he saw a CD. So, or he heard maybe there was a CD. So it's digital, and is it easy to find? Can they? Yeah, yeah. It's, okay. it's out there. Okay, cool. So check that out. What up? Um, but yeah, the output is the song of the Narco Comp and the Party Animal song. That's fucking rad. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, mean, you're crazy. on two like classic mystic comps. The party animal comp is a good comp. The third one, the we got party, is the one that's not so hot. The first one's great. Yeah, the first one's really good. Second one's because the first one's curated by someone that's not mystic, right, right? You know, it's the zine. So yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So sometime in this period, you have to start booking shows, right? Because you are gonna book the full ill repute tour in '85. No, so I didn't start uh, handling your repute booking duties till late '80s, early '90s. So they remembered wrong. Yeah, they remembered wrong. Okay, yeah. <laughs> did you listen to the interview? You're I, like, I, no, I, that wasn't me. I heard Tony's interview. Yeah, and I'm all, hmm. Who do you think booked them in '85? I have no idea. Because that's I was tripping. I was like, so would Eddie have been like 15 and booking ill repute on no, a national no tour? No way. Yeah. yeah. Um, my uh, relationship to shows at that point was strictly through Big Bob. So he put on shows at the Skate Palace. Okay. And in uh, Wyoming. In Wyoming, exactly. Yeah. And and Bob was so great at this time. He still is. And and at that point, to put put a fifteen, sixteen year old kid like in charge of like flyering or artwork or like checking stamps to the door. Mm-hmm. Like that was really empowering at that moment. To, yeah. To, to, and that he trusted us to do that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I would go to Kinko's. I made some flyers. I helped spread the word, like, you know, the uniform choice, Dag Nasty, but whole server show, wasted youth. Um, there's a couple other ones. Um, I think the, just the big aggression, your repute mm-hmm. salad show that happened there. I think Habe, Habe has played that too. Okay. Um, yeah. So that was really cool that he, uh, so he's shown you the ropes, a little bit of like promoting, just getting the word out, yeah, more or less, yeah, you know, and then putting you work at the door, um, sort of. I mean, we weren't there was no math involved. We weren't handling any money at all. Oh, sure, it was just kind of like, hey, can you, you know, 
watch a make sure they have a stamp on their hand or yeah. like, if they yeah. go in and out th- things of that nature yeah what was it like to see uniform choice in 1986 um they were they were pretty strong man <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, yeah pat, in, pat was really in your face in my head that's like the strongest band that ever existed but i never got to see them so oh, whatever man. yeah i mean they also had the best merch yeah like, yeah yeah until yeah. chance strength true true <laughs> Those straight and alert shirts were yes. really like they were so fucking bold, man. You could not miss them from a mile away. Oh, I know. You know? And I, I love the Dillinger Four knockoff shirts of that. The D Four music is none of my business. Oh yeah, yeah. So oh, good. Yeah, that's, that's so too good. So good. So when do you book your first show? Okay, so the should first... we talk about a habeas corpus? Well, let's talk about a habeas corpus breakup actually first. Why do you guys break up? Um, yeah, that's a good question too. Well, basically, just as you know, in '87, I'm sure you've heard stories. That's when the scene kind of kind of starts went fizzling. Yeah, fizzling out. Can I get your take down. on that? Like, because you're you've been now going to shows for a few years, but you're younger, and uh, like, what is your perspective on that? Like, like, what's your opinion? Because yeah, the bands start changing. Like, Doctor Knows getting more and more metal. Even Stalag's kind of go. Yeah. Stalag went metal, and then Ill Repute kind of stops playing. Um, yeah, I mean, I know the exact time, I mean, for me, that it felt like it was over. And this was actually at a show. Okay. And at this point, the entire bill kind of metamorphosized into their next chapter. Okay. Like, Seven Seconds, this was at the Oxnard Community Center in, in 87. Okay. And Seven Seconds headline, and they were doing their kind of U2 mm-hmm. um, transformation. So, like, the RSOs LP, maybe, is 87? Trying to think. Um, I, 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 I actually enjoy all that stuff. I, I like it too, but but like. But uh, it's a bummer if you're coming off the real exactly. Shit. So they were yeah. playing that false confession played, and they were the rain, and and basically was turned into like the southern death cult, kind of more post punky, gothy okay. type direction. Habeas played, and we were kind of getting away from like the straight ahead hardcore, not metal, but kind of playing a little more kind of melodic, like angular type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that did not go over well. <laughs> and then Ill Repute also played the show and they did their like, Tony and John did their... Like the separate thing. No, no, they did their hip hop uh, side project thing. Okay, I've never even heard of this, so you gotta lay it out. Yeah, this is a really a small footnote in art history, but they had like this kind of like Beastie Boys-y type, uh, uh, type, type thing and you need to bring up with them. I don't even remember the name of it. I think they only had three songs. Okay. And... Uh, and so, what like what is the setup? Like, okay, so there was turntables and a microphone. Really? And who's on the turntables? Like, how does that even work? Rock's chosen warriors, apparently. <clears throat> Rock's chosen warriors, dude. A mind fucking blown right now. So that you know? entire show represented everybody, like just entering the next phase of yeah. their music chapter. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay. But it felt, but again, so there, that was happening. No one was having it. There was a ton of fights. Um, <laughs> Jesus <laughs> like, Christ. Like, people were so resistant to change at that time. You either went, and, so you, you know, the line was drawn. You either go metal or you go into kind of like, you go into metal, like a lot of the, like, a lot of the bands, like you said, Dr. No mm-hmm. and uh, Stalag. Or you go into kind of like this alternative rock, like sure. REM, U2, uh, yeah. replacement-y type thing. Yeah, like college rock kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Channel 3 did that. Youth Brigade did that with the Brigade. Sure. Um, yeah, so there was like even Bad Religion, they're into, into the... Un- Which is earlier. Because yeah, they're actually going to come back and yeah. break it wide open, right? Yeah, exactly. They're the ones that came back and broke it open. But yeah, everybody was going in different directions. And, mm-hmm. and then there's just the fights. And it just 
didn't seem uh, as magical as it used to be. Do you think that the reason why a lot of the music moved away from punk is was in response to the violence? Um, I don't think so. No, no. I think it was more of just. Uh, it's just you're getting better at your instrument and that, and then and your your musical scope is broadening. Mm-hmm. Like you're finding out about other stuff, or you're revisiting stuff you listened to before and mm-hmm. that you weren't allowed to listen to. Yeah, it wasn't you know? cool to like it. it wasn't cool. You can admit yeah. you like it. I loved Tom Petty at the time, mm-hmm. you know, but I wasn't allowed to like Tom Petty in '82, oh. you know, which is yeah, fucking criminal. That's not a Tom t- Petty. That's not a world I want to live in. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> yeah. R.I.P. Tom. So sad. He's the one that got me. Like, oh yeah. 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 That was terrible. Yeah, I was actually in his fan club. I would get like these postcards. You know? Back then, yeah. in '82. Totally. Holy shit, that's rad. So when do you book your first show? So so that will that that eighty seven downturn basically I mean this is I think you guys referenced it. This is kind of sort of the beginning of the dark years for the NARC. Yeah, we think it's eighty seven to ninety one now. Yeah. But you'll tell us for sure. Exactly. well, I mean <laughs> I don't know if this is revisionist history or not, but but um I'll I'll try. My memory's been jarred by six thousand shows, like sure. literally six thousand shows. Sure. Um but uh, yeah, so the dark the dark ages from a show standpoint, mm-hmm. in my opinion, started in the tail end of eighty seven. Okay, and eighty eight going into eighty nine, there really wasn't so much activity. There might have been some bar shows here and there. Um, I took off to go to college, mm-hmm. and and I left and lived in Utah for for a minute, uh, more than a minute, a couple years, a couple years, yeah. And did you go to shows there? I did, yeah, yeah. In- can you contrast the two? Um, yeah. Well, first of all, it was weird being the only person of color in the entire state. Okay. Uh, so that was a little bit odd. Um, and especially coming from Oxnard, because the Oxnard scene was so diverse. Sure. I mean, I mean, you know, you've you grew up in the area, like you know Absolutely. that we have every walk of life there. Mm-hmm. So going to Utah and, and seeing one type of person was was a little bit jarring for me at the onset. Yeah. So the shows were. Shows were cool. They were fun. Um, this is you know, the start of these kind of like um, straight edge, like okay, yeah, hardline yeah. guys. Which to me, like you guys are fucking Mormon, dude. Like you're I not, know. you're not I straight know. edge. You're Mormon. Yeah. Like I know. <laughs> you're not. You're not rebelling against anything. <laughs> no, you're doing what your parents told you to do. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's, so so whatever. So there's a lot of those dudes. And Joseph Smith. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but they're they're all nice people. I'm not. I'm not a. No, I mean, they're all religion is stupid, and that one is specifically stupid because it's newer. So it's like it doesn't have the excuse of being old, but man, almost to a man, like any Mormon person you meet is a very nice, genuine person. Yeah. So they did something right. True. You know, true. Um, outside of how they treated African Americans up until like seventy six. Yeah, that's know. a whole another podcast, and I, I can get into that too, but. But the, one of the reasons why I went to school, to, I, so I went to Brigham Young University, which is a mm-hmm. Mormon school. I got it. My grades were not good enough, but mm-hmm. there was, um, you know, they needed to diversify their, <laughs> their, <laughs> their student populace. So, <laughs> one. so I got in through some sort of affirmative action class. Awesome. Um, yeah, so they have a public relations program that was pretty tops, man. They At the time, uh, BYU was considered like the Harvard of the West. Okay. Yeah, I mean, again... I mean, their public relations program is tops. I mean, they were able to, the religion was able to convince, you know, the masses that this cult is a, oh shit, was this bona fide religion? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
total success. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that, so that was a really good education. Mm-hmm. It, it was uh, outside of the having to take uh, mandatory uh, religious courses. But the scene there was a lot different than Oxnard, mm-hmm. and I, and the and just being in in that in that state was it just wasn't for me. Um, so I came back for the summertime, and there was still nothing happening in the eight hundred five at the time, at least all ages wise. There yeah. might have been parties here and there, but nothing on on the re- on the regular. And so I just made it a goal to like try to find a spot. So I just hop in my car. I, I had a Fiat one thirty one, which. It was a struggle to get out of the driveway. Okay. And I would drive all around Oxnard trying to find a spot. I went to every like cafe, every bar, every hall, every video store, like whoever would let us like do a show. And mm-hmm. you know, at this point, I'm somewhat coherent. I'm a college kid and I'm eighteen years old and sure. nineteen years old. I can I can uh put a sentence together and maybe sound believable. Mm-hmm. And uh I found a spot on Oxnard Boulevard called El Tabatillo. Okay. And Oxnard and, oh, excuse me, Oxnard Boulevard and 4th, I believe, Street. Okay. Um, and I was able to talk to the owner there into uh, letting us put on a, an alternative rock dance. Awesome. You know. that's And that's how you proposed it, an alternative rock dance. Exactly. Great. Yeah. And I so we did door deals. Mm-hmm. How about, you know, you get, I'll give you 40% of the door. You know, we'll charge six bucks. Actually, it ended up being six fifty, which is totally ridiculous to me to even have. Wants to change. go get a sack of change. <laughs> totally, we had to have quarters, and then so we used the uh, that uh, the aggression connection from Habeas Corpus and mm-hmm. Menard, and to get them to play the first show. And this is what year? This is eighty nine. Okay. Yeah, July eighty nine. Okay. And then there wasn't very many active bands at that point. Okay. And from the old the old guard. Mm-hmm. And so we decided, okay, we'll just get Habeas back together and we'll play. Awesome. You know? Yeah. So Habeas played second. Okay. And then Jim Calhoun had another band called Society's Results. Okay. And we called Jim. Oh, hey, dude, you guys want to open the show? And um, he's all, yeah, let me get back to you. And then, God, this this toy kills me because a Jawbreaker is so near and dear to my heart. Uh-huh. And at Jawbreaker had their demo out at the time, and Adam somehow got hold of my number from Maximum Rock and Roll because I already had a listing in the uh, Book Your Own Fucking Life thing. Okay. And he called and said, "Hey, um, we'd love to play that aggression show that you're doing, you know." And, and I'm all, "Yeah, uh, it would be Lemons great." Full. <laughs> but but we got uh, Society's results to play. It's like Jim Calhoun from Ill Repute. They're going to be huge draws, like, you know. <laughs> so, dude, you guys can play like the second show. Yeah. But uh. So yeah, it didn't but respect for doing a three band show—that's all I want to see. Yeah, yeah, you know that rules. So you I have agree. the right idea from the beginning. <laughs> but dude, we had—I had no idea what we were doing. And yeah, I'm still learning every day to this day. Sure. But at that point, we were just—we uh, weren't prepared for, for one, the the lack of response. I mean, it was pretty. The show did like eighty paid or something. Okay. Well, was Aggression living in in Colorado at the time, or were they back, or do you remember? They were on the cusp of, of moving. Okay, yeah. they're just getting ready to move. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it does like eighty. So this Mike, Mike Minnick was our drummer on Habeas Corpus after James Ruby passed away, and, okay. and he ended up playing in Aggression. Okay. After so. Cool. He replaced uh, John Mitchell. Okay. Who played in eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight or so, I guess. Um, Toss that into the timeline. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah. So the show was about eighty people in a cap. What's the cap there? You think? 
I don't know, about three fifty or something. You do three fifty at, yeah. at that place? Holy shit! I mean, at that, I mean, maybe legally it's probably one fifty. Okay, but no show even. Yeah, so flirted with two hundred at that at that time. No, but it's just painting a, a nice picture because eighty nine. I mean, to do eighty people, it's like you are. The scene is it a down a down? It is a downtime, right? Yeah, but think about it. Like just two years prior, aggression would do like. 900, 800 people at the skate palace or at the community center. I know, that's insane. So it was a big... Uh, it's insane. Yeah, the downward cycle already... Uh, Everyone's waiting again. for uh, Joe Rivas to write a demo, and then the scene can come <laughs> back. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the second show you put on? The second show was um, No Effects, Bad Samaritans. And this is the same place? The same place. And what does that show do? Um, smaller, I think 40-something. Holy cow. And then we had Jawbreaker ended up doing the third show. Okay. Um, we had The Offspring, mm-hmm. Bulimia Banquet, um, Admiral. Mm-hmm. God, there's so many. Like, we had a really good run there. Yeah. Like a really good run. And then, yeah. And then and does this give any, does it get any traction? Like, do you start drawing up to 150? I mean, I'm, I'm nine years old, so don't blame like me it, for not being there. There was a lot of kind of like, um, there were some bands that were kind of like dabbling, not dabbling, like gone full bore, like Chili Peppers, like Jane's mm-hmm. Addiction mode, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that, so that was, those bands were kind of drying a bit. Like okay. there was a band called Clyde from Camarillo that, that did all right. That would kind of pack the room. Tripmaster Monkey mm-hmm. had a little bit of a following too. And you're booking these bands as well. Yeah, yeah. Are you booking them with punk bands or are you booking this like a separate night? No, they're, they're the same. I mean, all okay. the shows had the same lineup. Yeah. And then we did a... It were Pute's first uh, show back after kind of like that transition area. So mm-hmm. that was really well attended. John yeah. was singing and awesome. That was really cool. And how were they? How were the shows or how was no, it? No, how was it repeat? They were a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. They were, they were, they were a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, so you're getting a lot of people like coming back mm-hmm. into the scene again. And there's a couple of new kids, like younger people that are finding out about it and, and mm-hmm. coming out. So those, those seeds were starting to get planted. Sure. Again. Yeah, um, it still wasn't as fruitful as it was like you know six or seven years prior, but we were on the right path at least. Okay. And then there was uh, like a big fight at a show, and the cops came, and people got arrested, and there was actual like a standoff like in El Tabatillo where the kids were on one side and the cops came in on the other. Oh Jesus! And I'm like yeah, and I remember specifically going, "Holy shit, this is totally going down. This feels like L.A. in '82 or yeah. '81." <laughs> um, a couple people got arrested and. I got in the paper and in the press courier and I think the Oxnard or the Ventura uh, exam. Uh, I don't remember the name of the paper there. Okay. Uh, but um, yeah, so I got a little bit of negative press and then the guy just decided to shut it down. That's the end of that. Yeah. So how do you approach finding the next spot? Same thing, just get back to plugging? Um, so at that point I moved to Orange County. Okay. I transferred from... BYU to Orange County because I ended up getting a at the point at that time Cal State Fullerton was like a music industry assembly line okay like everybody that worked for their their associate students entertainment mm-hmm. ended up moving on and and doing other things in in the music business because in your head at this point you're thinking you want to do what something in music yeah like just I was, something in music so let me let me get the resume absolutely for even well, but you weren't thinking about being a full entrepreneur yet. No, no, it just had to be something in music. I mean, Zach, I was reading like every trade magazine. I was doing internships. Um, I, I was working for independent promoters. I was working for corporate promoters. I was um, 
trying to apply at record stores and just anything. I mean, I actually worked at Record Tech in Camarillo. You know, yeah. I was the quality control guy over there, like making sure I test I, all, all the all the uh, test pressings, like uh, QCing all of those before they actually hit the assembly line. Oh, crazy! Um, so something, anything that had anything to do with, with music, I was so fucking obsessed, dude. Like it yeah. was, like, I would live, eat, breathe, and shit music. Okay, so ninety one ish, you're in, you're at Cal State Fullerton. Uh, Exactly. So, so I started ninety one. Okay. I, I applied for. I was still in, in in Utah, and I applied for the entertainment director position at Cal State Fullerton. Oh. And I already moved everything, assuming that I was going to get yeah. that position. You know, yeah. I was so confident I was going to get it that. Yeah. And like, what does that job entitle or in entail? Um, they give you one hundred fifty thousand budget, which is obscene for that time. Okay. And you book shows for the campus. Oh, okay. So you're bringing all the shows to the campus. Right. So cool. Yeah, dude. So basically, I was on scholarship to book shows. Yeah, and you got the job. I got the job, yeah. Okay. And then, uh, so I'm doing that, and I'm doing Numbskull on the side. Mm-hmm. And uh, and where is Numbskull promoting at this point? Same, like, Ventura? And Are you yeah. doing Slow yet? No, no, no. That wasn't until later. Okay. So, so you're doing Ventura County. You, Vent- so you're doing the college where you're living, and then you're doing... No, I'm on the side of Ventura County. Exactly, yeah. Okay. yeah. And just driving up. Sure. Like places like El Fiesta and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And then also um, a Club Soda on on the on, not on, on, uh, on Main Street in Ventura. Okay. Yeah, and so I had a budget to book, basically book shows. So that was a lot of fun. We did like Sublime, No Doubt, Rage Against the Machine, Goo Goo Dolls, like all that like kind of early 90s stuff before it. Fully, yeah, before it broke. Before it broke, yeah. So that was, mm-hmm. that was really fun, really neat. Um, and then after that, uh, after I graduated, I stayed down there and did shows all around Orange County at a place called the Ice House and a place called Orange Curtain, just whatever, um, halls or clubs we could convince, uh, someone to let us do shows at. Yeah. And this, I mean, that plus like the, the Fullerton gig is like beefed up your Rolodex. Yeah. Yeah. And beefed up your reputation that you can handle doing shows. Right, that are bigger, right? Because what what was what would have been the largest show you put on at Fullerton? Because mm. the Google Dolls yeah. were already big, right? But- sort of. I mean, they were, and mind you, these were all free shows, oh. so you could you could like we did Teenage Fan Club or the Muffs or mm-hmm. TSOL, um, Joe Wood TSOL, like Cadillac Tramps. Like these were all big Orange County, no doubt. So they were free, and people would just come from everywhere. Like, yeah. There would be thousands there. Holy cow. And on top of like the student population. Yeah. So when, when Rage played, there actually wasn't a whole lot of people there. Oh, it was that early? Yeah, super early. Yeah, because I remember, I mean, thinking about shows that I've been to on college campuses, the only one I can remember is when No Effects played UCSB. Yeah, their extravaganza. With Skank and Pickle, yeah. I remember. Yeah, you didn't do they, that, though, did you? No, no. Um, I had a hand in that, okay. uh, unfortunately. Cause, <laughs> I mean, Why? I mean, it was a fun night, and everybody got paid. But it, I mean, all the bands got paid handsomely. But they, they were a shit show. Out. Yeah, it was a total shit show. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fun. It was super fun. Oh, yeah. It was super fun. So what do you do after uh, Fullerton? Do you, do you, or when do you decide to move back? Where do you move to from there? So I moved back to Camarillo. Okay. And then... Decided, like, I mean, I had no other option. Like, I, I either have to, like, try to get some, like, nine-to-five, like, pencil-pushing music industry job. Get a job or start hustling. 
Or start hustling, yeah. Yeah. So I started delivering pizza at Speedy's Pizza in Camarillo. Okay. And then saved up all the money. Because now I'm on my own. It's mm-hmm. not like having this college budget. Sure. Like, now we're talking real money. We're talking real trips to the ATM when the shit goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I saved up a little bit of money mm-hmm. and tried to find some new spots. Okay. And at this point, like, I still didn't... No one in their right mind thought punk rock could be a career. Sure. Okay. And and for whatever reason, when Nirvana hit, and then next thing you know, Green Day hits... And then Offspring hit. Yeah. You know, and these are relationships that you already formed with bands, mm-hmm. you know, when they were at their fetal stages. Like, it was like, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Like, no one could fathom a thought, fathom that this was coming. Because before uh, Nirvana, you do have like a bad religion, which is popular, right? That comes back. But what is, what are they doing? Like, what are they drawing at like the country club in 1991? Yeah, they're selling out multiple nights country club. So what? Is, what's like, the cap there? Nine hundred. Okay, so it's it's big but underground, big. Right. Nothing breaking right. through. And are they are the biggest band? Well, they're the they're one of the ones that kind of stuck to their guns outside yeah. of that the, that little experimental record they did sure. into the unknown, whatever. Sure. I'm, but who's <clears throat> the biggest punk band in '91? In '91, it's probably Bad Religion. Like interna- internationally, it's Bad Religion. Yeah, before sure. Nirvana breaks. Yeah, before Nirvana breaks. Okay, maybe Sonic Youth too. Yeah, if you want to consider, consider them. them. Yeah. Okay, and then everything breaks wide open '94ish, and you have all these relationships, and you're able to start doing more successful shows. Yeah, so that's that's what was really cool. So a lot of the artists that we established relationships with at, at their fetal stage, like I said. They kind of brought us up with them, mm-hmm. um, and honored that history, and honored, stayed loyal, and and we'd take them to the next step. We'd, we'd be doing them at Ventura Theater, or doing them at some larger hall. Mm-hmm. Um, no Effects was also big at this time; they were starting to explode. And we did a big one of the biggest shows we did in the early '90s was at, we rented out UC Irvine and had No Effects, Di, The Muffs, Face to Face, and Wax, and there was like 3,500 people there. It was Holy in fucking insane. And that's when we all started thinking, whoa, like even Fat Mike at that point was like, dude, where do all these people come from? Yeah. And we're just looking at each other. And dude, not even a year before, we're at El Fiesta on Oxnard Boulevard. Sure. With, you know, 150 people. Sure. So the thing, everything started happening so fast. And and um, and then Tony Hawk starts, the, the Tony Hawk game start, mm-hmm. comes out and they start adding all these and punk soundtrack, and then then that and then it fucking just multiplied. Yeah, and then it became monster. Yeah, and, and becomes a part of like the fabric of life where it's normal. Absolutely. You yeah, know? and then the Warp Tour. Um, yeah, and then radio's all about it. And, yeah, and then it's just it it's just crazy. Now we're just like, wow. Yeah, this is for real. It's like people are actually yeah. paying real money and banking on you to, to come see uh-huh. to, to pull it off. Like, yeah, yeah. So stepping back. Um, you booked the Ill Repute tour after Big Rusty Balls. Is that the one you did? It was the Big Rusty Balls <clears throat> tour. Didn't they do two? It was yeah, but didn't they do two different legs? Yeah, we did. We did. I booked both of them. You broke them up. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a brilliant move. I don't know why I never thought about doing it like that. You know, doing two weeks and then two weeks instead of doing like five weeks and hating yourself. Yeah, because after a pretty good move. I mean, the honeymoon period, as you know, is like two and a half weeks on tour. Sure. Before you start punching each other and. And yeah, I don't know why no one ever thought about that. They yeah. just they just fucking went for it and did like you know six to eight weeks on the road, and it's just are you kidding me? Like, do you think about that now? <laughs> yeah, and this yeah. is like pre buses and yeah. 
So you hadn't booked a tour before, though, right? This is the first? Uh, so, so gosh, I should rewind a little bit. Whoa, okay, hey. let's rewind. Um, sorry, I dropped the mic for a second. So before, concurrently while we were doing shows, mm-hmm. I started dabbling in tour booking and artist representation. So I was booking some show, like like full U.S. tours for Repute did one, or a couple, I should say. And uh, so Numskull was a bit of a, like a booking agency. Mm-hmm. So we booked tours for like Noise for a Name, Lagwagon, Repute, Good Riddance, um, Schlep Rock, even Big Bad Voodoo Daddy at one point, mm-hmm. uh, Del Rubio Triplets, Naked Soul, uh, Screw 32. Yeah, it was a fun, fun little roster, like up and coming, like kind of fat and epitaph heavy, but yeah. mixed up with some kind of. And then a little, the little adjacents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so when when the explosion hit, mm-hmm. I couldn't handle all these bands. Yeah, and they started like started steering them to like real booking agents. Okay, you know, I mean, at this point, I'm just like it's me and a couple people that help out. I mean, we have a great crew at the sh- at the shows and everything, but as far as the the booking tour thing, that was all me. And this is pre internet. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So are you just using Book Your Own Fucking Life? Yeah, I had itineraries, too, from from okay, other tours. Okay, so well. a band would come back, and you'd ask, can I have your itinerary? So I'd yeah, get all your yeah. contacts. So I'd contact that. But, I mean, you had to physically book book the show. Sure. And so I'd have to get on the phone and, like, do deals and, and mm-hmm. work that out. And then we'd do contracts uh, through, the, through the fax machine. Okay. You know, so I'd get this fucking ri- roll of rice paper coming through. Yeah. That... that yeah, that deteriorates before you even rip it off. And yeah, it's like wow, or it's like that carbon paper that scratches and you don't even know what the deal was. Yeah, what's an example like of uh, like no use for names like guarantee at that point? Like if they're playing, they're playing uh, St. Louis, Missouri on a Wednesday night. Yeah, that's like a five hundred dollars versus yeah forty percent on the door type deal. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to me that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, if you can talk more about that. Uh, later, um, yeah, you know, if you want no, 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 for sure. Yeah. We don't need to put everyone's business out there, but I just want everyone to succeed. <laughs> totally. I mean, well, we talk now, um, because some of my favorite bands are like the Madballs and the Gnostic Fronts, and and San Diego is like a, a second tier or a third tier city, depending on how you look yeah. at it. Like, we don't get the Friday or the Saturday night, right? And I feel so fortunate, like, those are two of the bands they always they never skip San Diego. I feel like on every tour, and it's like, I don't care how much I have to pay, I just want them to keep coming back, yeah, you yeah. know. And that, so that's important. Yeah. But anyway, I, I, uh, I digress. So you actually get back into doing another band around 94 ish, 93, 94 and join missing 23rd. Well, or do you start missing 23rd? Well, in 94, like John C and Woody and like, we had a little bit of a crew going and mm-hmm. like they were helping out in numbskull shows, okay. which was really cool. And then they had the idea to start a band. Okay. Um, and then they asked me if I wanted to play bass. Mm-hmm. At this point, I like Habeas and the old Nar days were are so near and dear to me, Zach. That like, like I told you, like when I brought that photo album over earlier, mm-hmm. and I was just thumbing through it today, like my eyes started to water. Like mm-hmm. that is such a special time, my formative years, and I I just I wanted to like close that chapter and and have it end on a really good note, and and just retire the bass, you know. Sure. But I love, you know, John C. and Woody. And, yeah. you know, and they had a great idea of like, hey, we want to, you know, harken back to the days of early DC hardcore and then throw in a splash of like OG Nard. Mm-hmm. And that's where you come in. Yeah. And so like, all right, let's do it. So we jammed and, and this is in um, July of 
probably spring of 95. Okay. And we played um, for a minute before we, like just practicing, okay. like in this little shed in El Rio for, mm-hmm. for a while before... Yeah, we, we, our first show was at uh, Horshacks. Yeah, and it was the ten foot pole. Yeah, ten foot pole youth brigade. Yeah, it was and, a little more calculated. Like we definitely, uh, from my vantage point, we had a vision and we wanted kids to know the song, so we recorded and then put those demos out. Yeah, put that demo was out before we even played a show. Yeah, so when we played the show, kids actually knew the song. Mm-hmm. But that was really cool, man. Like I, I love missing twenty third so much. Like it, I felt really invigorated and. You guys came out and it was a fully formed band. Like you were ready to go, and you know one of the best bands of the time. Yeah, you thank know. you. Yeah, you it know, was a lot of fun. Yeah, and and you know you're smart. You know how to like make it work from a promoting standpoint. So you put yourself on a good show, and it's like right out the gate, it's like you're a almost a headlining band, right? Yeah, it was cool. Um, there was, yeah, we were very fortunate that 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 worked out that way. But more often than not, it was like, at this point, like I was talking about earlier, like we're, not, we as a numbskull are forming relationships with, with all these bands. Mm-hmm. And then they never got to see Habeas or got to witness that. And they're like, oh, fuck, dude, Eddie's in a band? Do we have to see this? Yeah. Like, so they're, they're reaching out and asking. And then Sona makes it look like that numbskull put M23 on all these shows, but in reality, it's the headliner that books the the lineup. Well, I, I always thought that was kind of funny, too, when John John would bring that up, like, that there was jealousy of Busy Twitter being on all these shows. Like, well, why wouldn't they be? Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, at least they're, if, from an objective standpoint, they're top three band of the area, you know? So if you're going right. to put someone in, like, why not them? Plus, of course, you know, the people want to play with you. They're friends with you. Hey Eddie, put your band on the show. I want to see your band. Yeah, like yeah. It's such a no-brainer. But you know, this is a, a youth youth movement, youth scene. You can't expect everyone's thoughts to be so well thought out. True, true. Do you start playing? Uh, okay, so at this point, Numb School, have you you've widened your your circuit to at least slow, right? Yeah. So we were doing Orange County. Ventura County, okay. Santa Barbara County, okay. San Luis Obispo County, and then you do some of the desert stuff too, and right? Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz, and then don't you go and you do some desert like Lancaster? Or is that yeah. later? So we started doing Lancaster and Victorville and Palmdale a little bit later. Okay, I would say probably ninety seven, ninety eight is when okay we start dipping into that area. Okay, and so Mr. Twenty Third, do you start playing this whole circuit? Yeah, yeah, and that was. I had the time of my life with that band. Okay. It was a lot of fun. It wasn't too much doing both? Like It became too much. It, it became it too much. Did. But the first year is all fun. First year is really fun. The second year, and you mentioned earlier, youth movement, um, people just grasp, struggling to grasp the you know, the relationship portion of it. And, sure. And there was some clapback, you know, and it kind of got on the other guys about, about it. I know they were more um, in the trenches with some of that. So they're a little more sensitive to people criticizing that Missing Twenty Third is on all these great numbskull shows. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah. you have to notice. It's just in hindsight, this does sound like the dumbest thing ever, right? Right. Like people being jealous. Why would I put my band on these awesome shows? Like, I don't know. It's just something people do. Like, okay, for instance, on Thursday night, um, or just recently, Tara played Ventura, and of course the promoter put his band on the terror show. Why wouldn't he? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's like, 
you're doing all the work. You're taking all this risk on booking the show. Like, you know, you can, you get reward from like, you know, giving to the scene and stuff. But if you're in a band, you want to be on the good show. Like true, true. I, I could never, I don't understand how anyone would fault him for that. Plus, I mean, he made his band open, you know? So it's like, that seems like a righteous move yeah, to me. That's perfectly fine. You know? Um, but like I said earlier, but yeah, for, if they're for sensitive the, to for, it for the most part though, like, it wasn't, we weren't angling for it. Sure. Like, it was the headliner, like, mm-hmm. more or less, like, yeah. you know, it's like Bouncing Souls. That. Dude, we want M23 to play. I want, we want to see what you're all about, you know? Yeah. What am I going to tell those? They're homies. I can't tell them no. Right. And it's not <laughs> just you. It's, it's all the guys helping out with your promotion so they know each of you to a man. You're in a band together. It's like, well, I want to see my friends, John yeah. and Woody and, and Eddie, play in a band. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and Well, plus you guys ripped. They were probably also fucking fans. You know what I mean? It wasn't just the novelty of yeah, seeing you guys. Maybe, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, or eventually would be fans. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. You would hope. Um, or they pretended to be fans. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I wanna I wanna do one other little like side story because uh I think that like a lot of the people in this area, one of our favorite bands ever is Good Riddance. And you did such a good job of like um curating that band. Well, I don't I mean, from my perspective, like you brought them down here earlier before my time, you know, cause you right. brought them down off what either the Gidget seven inch or even yeah. maybe the demos. Right. Yeah. So you brought them down really early. Do they play, um, tr- not Tropical, the, the place you were speaking of on the boulevard. Oh, oh Casa Tropical. Yeah. No, that, that was, that was earlier. Okay. Casa Tropical was early eighties. Uh, oh, my bad. El, my El, bad. El Fiesta. Yeah. El Fiesta. Sorry. No, they, they, they did not play. They there. didn't play there. So yeah. when, when was the first time you brought them down? They played at El Fiesta. Okay. Uh, which was the second spot that we found after El Tabatillo, which I would it's say hard to was... keep, it's, from not going to these places. It's hard to keep all the names <laughs> know, together yeah. when it's El Fiesta and El Tabatillo. And, but yeah, so you bring them down in what year? You think? I want to say it's ninety-one, maybe. Okay, and did you like maybe? 92? Did you have a special connection to them, or you just you could tell they were like a special band? I I mean, honestly, it was from the Santa Cruz thing because we started dabbling in Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. And then Fat Mike was the, one, was the one that kind of turned me on to them. Yeah. He was like, hey, there's this band that I'm thinking about signing them from Santa Cruz. And, yeah. And then I heard the demo and I called shit. Yeah. You know, saw something there. Yeah. And it just seemed like they played down here so much, like they were almost like an hardcore band. Yeah. You know, that was 90s. a little bit of, I mean, yeah. I definitely was trying to push them. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we loved it. They were like, I mean, I'm, they're almost, everyone's one of their favorite bands. So yeah, that's good. Thanks. Yeah, and still, I went and saw them a month or two ago, and they're still awesome. Yeah, they they those guys all they have they have no quit. They're yeah. fully legit. And yeah, the songs. I mean, just everything about them, top to bottom, even as people on stage, off. Yeah, it's authentic, right? So when you're authentic, things are timeless. You know, authenticity is timeless. So. Yeah, and 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 they also are huge Nardcore fans as well. Sure, they understand the history. Mm-hmm. They get it. Well, Santa Cruz is can be very similar to like if you mesh Wainimi and Silver Strand together. Oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> you totally. know? yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. And Blast also came down a lot too. And Habeas played a lot with Blast sure. when they came down. So there was already a connection with the whole Santa Cruz thing that was already yeah. that started early. Yeah, very cool. Um, so with Miss Newly Third, you do do you play up to the LP? You don't play on the LP. No. No. You leave right before that? Right before that. Okay. There's a couple songs that I wrote that ended up being on that. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I was uh, unceremoniously exited. Like, oh, you were? 
Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, you were uh, booted. You I was booted. Out. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. it was. Um, well, and and I got it. I I understood where they were coming from. What was the reasoning? Uh, kind of what we were talking about before. Like I think there was a little bit of sensitivity to, um, to the the scene, kind of clapping back. Okay. And granted, I mean, they're eighteen, nineteen year old, twenty year old kids at this point. Sure. I, you can't expect anybody at really at any age, especially that age, to like yeah to, grasp. to be so thick skinned. Yeah, and then to be honest with you, I. Uh, full transparency here. I'm not the best bass player in the world. You know, my bass idols are like Doyle and Big Bob. Yeah. Not exactly Jaco Pastorius is here. Um, sure. So, and they're my idols. And yeah. I, you know, I was the one string master. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you think that they actually, they wanted to be more technical as well? I'm, I'm not sure. till Not till the second LP. Come on. The first, <laughs> yeah, the first LP is still pretty stripped <laughs> yeah. down. Um, so yeah, so, so, that, so that so that had something to do with it, but okay. but we we're also we were still homies. It wasn't just. Uh, but you had, I mean, it had to hurt a little. Oh yeah, I was crying. Okay, when it happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was I was bummed. I mean, I like I said, I loved Habeas to no end. I love Missing Twenty Third to no end. Mm-hmm. Really special band to me, and they still are. Yeah, always will be. No, I, they're awesome. But six months later, I was back in the band. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, you came back. Yeah, I came back. And then. Then you finally got to quit on them, and then the yeah, score then, was then, even. And then at that point, numbskull was just in the time didn't allow it. The show I was getting really busy with shows, mm-hmm. and it wasn't fair to them to for me to keep, you know, yeah. splitting my time. And you've never had the itch or done a band since. I, do you I, have the itch all the time, and you just are like, I can't commit the time to it. I, I I do I do I do want to play again, but again, like I said, I'm, I'm not the best uh, bass player in the world. Not everyone needs you know. The dude from Rancid. <laughs> oh shit! I know Matt Freeman is God. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I think about it. I just the, the time permitting, and I mean, I've actually put my base in storage, and yeah, like, I, it, it that chapter's done. I, yeah, I let someone else have a crack at it. You know, I, I mean, I was fortunate enough to be in two bands. That that's I'm really fucking lucky, man. Yeah, and put out records. Yeah, and yeah, tour and, and like yeah, very cool. So let's talk a, a little bit like. Um, wide lens on numbskull now because you're saying 31 years now. What is yeah, Jesus. So when this you is say 31 it, years. It just sounds so. I know. So I think that like <laughs> this is the time to dick wave a little bit. So let's uh let's drop some of the stats like that. So we got 31 years. You're saying over 6,000 shows books booked. Yeah, I don't know the exact number. Okay, but eyeballing you stopped it, counting at 5,000. Yeah, we stopped around five, but okay, but I it. it eyeballing it, I think we're in like the sixes. Okay. And if you count also tours that that I booked, that's then you're way then yeah, then it's a lot. It's yeah. It's astronomical. Yeah. So it's just crazy to me, man. I can't believe like I'm wearing right now, like this week we we did a run with TSOL mm-hmm. and it's their fortieth anniversary tour. So about six weeks ago. <laughs> no, <I'm just> like, <laughs> yeah. I stacked these. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and yeah, man, I just can't believe that was 40 years ago when that EP came out. Yeah. Cause you remember it. Yeah. Yeah. And to think that numbskull has been around for 31 fucking years. I just, I, I, I really, it's, I'm speechless. Yeah. I, I can't believe that, that, uh, that this is still fun. Yeah. I mean, 
I'm so fortunate, Zach, to be around music and art every night. Yeah. Like, I would do this job for free, dude. Yeah. Like, I love it so much. I've gotten to meet every hero, gotten to work with every hero. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a pinch me moment that happens like every week, even last, even with this TSOL run. It's like, holy shit, dude. Like, I'm kicking it with Ron Emery. And, I know, it's crazy. You know, and Jack Grissom. It's like, what? Like, these are. These don't are forget dudes. Dave Dictator. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. NBC, too. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's it just, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a dream come true. I yeah. know it's cliche, but it's just, uh, yeah, I, I really can't believe it. Yeah, and and you have a staff of about how many people that help you out or volunteers? Um, we have crew in every city that we're active in. Yeah, and there's people that oversee like a certain aspect. Like mm-hmm. John Scheimer will, will handle all advancing all the production, and mm-hmm. we have local reps in like each market that will just kind of oversee the shows and in that particular part of town. Yeah, um, yeah, we got a. We were all pretty deep. We got, there's a, a yeah. lot of numbskulls, man. And then you do you do a celebration like once a year? Punk Rock Bowling is our kind of family reunion. Uh huh. So we get together, and that's the weekend that we try not to think about numbskull shows and just kind of like bro down. And catch because up. it's one weekend that you you don't book that weekend. No, we do. So some oh, people do. have to like bite the bullet and stay oh. stay home. I might be the one this year to have to stay home. Because yeah. There's a lot. Well, then uh, who's going to do the toast if you're not there? <laughs> No, I mean numbskull's always been a we thing and not a me thing. Yeah. So there's like our crew is, I love them to death, and everyone's capable of taking care of shit at any time. So the crew though, you get together every year and you get together and say good job and stoked and have a little party and yeah, well we bowl and yeah, we have a party and we do have a, a team dinner at this bomb ass uh, vegan restaurant in Chicago in uh, in Chinatown in Vegas. Cool. And. uh I can't believe I said bomb ass. <laughs> that Dude. term has been retired. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are things we want to work. I was at this spot um, recently in the pool, and uh, or actually in this jacuzzi, and this bunch of older folks talking, and someone brought up something, and like a guy was like, "Yeah, it was premium," and I was oh like, my God. "I was wow. like, dude." That phrase is awesome. And I've been trying <laughs> to work it into my vocabulary ever since. Remember to say premium because I always say, oh, the rules, the rules, the rules. I want to say. But even rules is kind of throwback, though. The rules is a little throwback, but I say it all the time. I just want to, half the time I want to say that rules, and half the time I want to say, it's fucking premium. Yeah, you should just replace sick with premium. <laughs> yes. It, oh, if I could get sick out of my vocabulary, that'd be great. You know? But that guy, he was like just some 70 year old guy, and he was so cool and just. For him to describe something as like it was premium, it's like that's great. So <laughs> bomb ass, back. pretty cool too. Take it back, you know. Yeah, I mean that restaurant would be stoked. Do you feel like that? You know. <laughs> so, Eddie, is there anything else you feel like we didn't touch on? Uh, gosh, there's there, there's a lot. Not, yeah. not that you didn't touch on. Just I feel like there's just a there's so many airs uh, and shows and it's well, just that's super hard. overwhelming. When I was going through trying to trying to prep for this pod, like. Mm-hmm. It was so daunting, man. Like even just getting past like the early Nard habeas thing was like, wow. In fact, I didn't even get past that. I spent an hour like, you know, I just got in the the OG Nard rabbit hole. Yeah, I was finding flyers and yeah. Dudes. Well, one thing I think we forgot to get to was, did you go on tour with Aggression? Yeah, we did. Okay, yeah. so we should talk about that. So habeas did a full U.S. tour. Uh, we didn't do the whole. So we fully US. missed this though. Okay, so did Aggression do the full U.S. They did. Okay. And this would have been what year? This was 86. Summer of 86. Okay. 86. So they, do you remember how many U.S. tours they did? 
because Bob said they went every year. So the first year they would have gone would have been eighty three, and that would have been like the the BYO the, the fail, like the bus tour yeah. that they did half. And then so yeah, if they would have done eighty four, so do you think it was like their third tour? Do you feel like they had done a bunch? There was a lot of weekend warrior stuff going on with yeah, them, and them we and went with a lot. We we were we took they were we were lucky enough to to for them to to bring us along to bring you. Yeah, that was another thing that yeah. I was interested in that you can elaborate on maybe a little bit too is ill repute. They would talk in aggression as well. They talk about like doing a circuit, like just going out and doing like Arizona and like New Mexico and coming back. Absolutely. So they would just do like a run of like Reno, Vegas. New Mexico, yeah, and then just come back. <clears throat> were Arizona. Those, were those areas like hot at that time? Because like that circuit died. Because you know, in in my time of like playing in bands and touring, you know, you're doing the West Coast. You would right. just do the West, right? And that's kind of what everyone does now. You wouldn't do that. That's kind of a weird circuit. Yeah, it, it was a bit odd, mm-hmm. but, but it the, made sense at the time. The because, shows were so well attended. Like, right. Exactly. We would do. We did Vegas several times with mm-hmm. aggression, and. There'd be seven, eight hundred people yeah. at most of these, and it was just like, holy shit! I remember one show that we played at with, in fact, James Ribbiet, because we were all in high school, we we're mm-hmm. just kids, and he couldn't do the show. And Gabe from AFU actually ended up do- doing the show with us, and we played at a place called Mama's, I think. Okay. And in Vegas, and it was massive, dude. There's a line around the block, and yeah, and I don't but, know if but it's Vegas tourist- makes more sense than like going all the way out to like New Mexico. Yeah, true. But New Mexico was were some of the best shows. Same too. Yeah, we played yeah. the Rec Club there several times. Um, we played there with Aggression, mm-hmm. and that was could have been very well the the best show of the tour. So cool. Yeah, so it was, cool. It, it was it was really odd that the pockets in the Southwest that were really hot for them. Yeah, because like, if uh, that circuit still worked, it would be so awesome for oh, people. Because it's I mean it's it's pretty. I mean, there's nothing like being on tour and like seeing like the. The sunset over like the oh, desert horizon, you know, and it, obviously anyone can get out there and, and do a weekend trip and, and experience that. But it is something like those moments of uh, tranquility on the road. Tranquility? No, no, that's right. Is that yeah. the right? Okay. Serenity? The, yeah, serenity on the road where it's like, you know, there's so much noise and bustle and you're around too many dudes and like this and that. And then it's like the the sunset in the desert where you just feel like, Oh, <laughs> it was all worth it. It's yeah, not, yeah, it's not sure. like the show. It's like the fact that you're out there and like something as psycho is playing like hardcore and punk rock is like, put you in the situation to watch the sunset in the desert. And you're like, what a weird thing. This music is that it's satisfying. Like all these little pieces of like what your psyche needs, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. But it's I felt wild. like on the Gresham tours, there really wasn't ever a quiet moment. No, of course not. <laughs> but, do you do you have a, a, any standout stories from those? Oh man, there's a lot. Um, from a, from Gresham specifically, sure. So those dudes were quite a bit older than us, mm-hmm. and they were such looming figures. Like I felt like we could, and that they always had our back. They they kind of mm-hmm. called us. Uh, they rebranded as Habies Habies Babies. Okay, and so like we were the kids of, sure. of, of the scene. And so we felt like we could, we were untouchable because, mm-hmm. like, if anything would go down, like the Gresham dudes were there. Yeah. So being the little shit kids that we are, we, you know, kind of instigate things mm-hmm. here and there. And we didn't know any better. But we were in Vegas one time on one road trip. And I was in a 7 Eleven with the Habeas guys. 
and they have slot machines in the 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. So I put a quarter in the slot machine, and it hits sevens. Wow. And we're 16 at this point. Yeah. Obviously, we're not old enough to gamble. Yeah. Hit sevens, and I mean, for a quarter on sevens, it was probably like 200 bucks. Sure. Which at the time, in 85 or whatever it was, that's a lot, a lot of money. Of money. Uh, especially a teenager. I mean, that's like yeah. a month of Taco Bell on the sure. road. So, so sure. we were like, we were so stoked, high five in. Mm-hmm. I grab a bucket and I'm like putting all the coin in the bucket. Mm-hmm. And then the store clerk was like kind of this big, burly, redneck guy. He had like a red flannel that was with the sleeves torn off. Yeah. Like full on, like 7 Eleven employee yeah. you would expect. He comes out and grabs the bucket for me. Uh-huh. And I'm all, dude, what are you doing? I just won this shit. Yeah. And. He's all, no, it's mine. You're not old enough to, to gamble. Yeah. And I'm all, nah, dude. Like, so we're having this little bit of tug of war. As we're having the tug of war, the Gresham guys pull up in their van. Okay. okay? And I see like Mark and Henry and Bob all getting out. And I'm like, okay, dude, you better give the fucking bucket up or you're going to die. Yeah. Because it's on now. And they walk in and I'm all, Mark, this guy, dude, I totally won this. Uh, this uh, I, I got sevens and he won't give he won't give me the he won't give me the bucket back and we have all this money and, and we need it and he we tried can, to touch me. <laughs> no, no, I didn't do that. That would have been bad. And Mark saw Ed. How old are you? I'm all sixteen. How old do you have to be to gamble? Uh, twenty one. So give the guy the bucket. And so I had I gave the bucket back to the the owner. No, the the store clerk. And the Gresham guy said, "Yeah, dude, there's, we can't help you here, man. Like that's re- that those that's state law. Like, yeah, you know." And I'm just like, "Well, fuck, dude. It's like we're bre- you guys are breaking every rule on this whole fucking tour, and you're gonna honor this one." Yeah. <laughs> so it was all good. Yeah, could have at least haggled for like free nachos, you know. Yeah. All right, sure. we're out of here with no problem. But can, <laughs> I, can I get a, a nacho boat for the road? You know? <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um. Yeah, I think this has been great. Cool. Yeah, thank you for having me. I hope you feel good about it. And and uh, I'm so stoked you're doing this. Um, really, it's it's a godsend. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, it's a it can be a challenge, but it's a it's a project of love. Totally. <laughs> so, like you- I was I was in um, uh, in DC a couple years ago, and mm-hmm. with uh, I went to hang out with with Ian McKay, mm-hmm. and he was toy getting on me about. Uh, about chronicalizing the Nardcore scene, mm-hmm. you know, and basically playing historian and, and basically chronicalizing and cataloging. And this guy, he is so, he has like library science aides come in and catalog and organize and punk rock Dewey Decimal System, his entire catalog okay. and data, everything he's been a part of. Yeah. And he was, actually giving me shit about not doing it for Oxnard. Mm-hmm. And then I told him, well, dude, I'm so busy. I have a kid. I, you know, I got this numbskull thing going on, doing a million shows. It's like, it's time permitting. And he's all, fuck you, Eddie. You got to do this. And if you don't do it, nobody else will. You know? well, and, I'm, and I'm so glad that you are doing this. And, and whatever help you need, dude, I look no further. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, I want someone else to do the book. Or the movie. Because <laughs> that's what people tell me. They're like, oh, I love the pod. You should do a book. I'm like, no, I'm doing my part. Yeah. Like, because yeah. the important thing is to get, like, the the first hand takes. Right? So, 
if if we wanted to spend the money, you can dump this shit into a program and get it transcribed, you know, True. or someone else can transcribe it. But we have the firsthand sources now, and that's what I want before, heaven forbid, we lose more people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, you know, zines, they're good for, you know, getting information and stuff, but there's there's something about getting to hear the way not only people talk, but the way that they interact with people that mm-hmm. is like, you can't describe it. I mean, I'm not good enough with words that I could transcribe an interview and describe how someone's speaking or how they act or like their, I don't know, like their essence or aura. Right. Yeah. Um, so whatever, we get these firsthand things down and someone can do something with them. I'm not going to hoard them. They're for everyone. You know, you can listen to them for free. You can download them for free, whatever. Um, but it would be nice if someone um, did some sort of book on yeah, Narcor. This, this is a step in the right direction. At least these stories are being immortalized. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Um, but this is our call. If, you, if you're not going to do it and I'm not going to do it, <laughs> someone step up. Like, that's it. Um, hey, I have you know. three storage spaces worth of, of punk rock history. Yeah. And if anybody wants to take that deep dive, to reach out. Yeah, I think that's that's the move, is someone out there with, like, that, that brain that works that way, that has, like, the organizational um, mentality and then also a little bit of storytelling in them. You know, this could be your project. And there's going to be a, a lot of interesting people reaching out to help you. So uh, you won't be alone. <laughs> but I would like to help and not yeah. be the person. Right, so, right. But, yeah. So, Eddie, you feel like you've been well represented? Yeah, absolutely. Thank okay. you. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. And love to have you again and love to have you on uh, maybe one of the ones where you shoot the shit. That'd be fun. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, cool. Sounds good. Thanks so much, bud. Thanks for listening, everybody. Okay.